Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. So we're in our uh, Way of the Shepherd series. Uh, this is week three, and we're looking at uh, mainly uh, at Psalm 23 and John 10 as we, as we walk through what it, what it means for Jesus to be our great shepherd. David wrote about him all those hundreds of years before, and then in John 10, Jesus comes along and he basically says, that was me, and this is what I came to do. Um, and so I want to start off by just sharing a, a story of the one who wrote Psalm 23, David trusting the Father God, uh, when he probably just looked around in his life and said, this is not how I pictured it. Anybody ever find themselves in a place in life and you're like, this is not how I pictured it. This is not how I drew it up. This is not what I thought would be happening right now. Anybody ever find themselves there? The four of us are honest. So, okay. I have more times than, than I have fingers on, on my hands uh, to, to spread out. We all have a picture of how we want our life to play out, right? We just have this picture and that's okay. At the same time, everyone experiences periods of life that look nothing like what they imagined or wanted or just, even if you're not a, a full optimist like my wife, like for my wife, every day is sunshine, happiness, and, you know, bears smiling and hugging you. Uh, for me, I'm like, that bear's waiting to eat us, you know, but so no matter what, whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, uh, you still have the way you want life to turn out. Your, your family, your marriage, your job, career, house, car, all those things. And then there's periods of times where it just doesn't look that way. So here's David. Most of us know his story. He's handpicked by God to be the, the future king of Israel, anointed. He's, he's going to be the, the king of his own nation. He's the mightiest warrior hero there is. As a, as a young man, he killed a lion and a bear with his hands. He's... he's won mighty battles. He took out a nine foot nine inch giant named Goliath with a slingshot. He's Israel's general. Everybody wants to follow him into battle. He's married to the current king's daughter. He had it all going for him until he didn't. Because of a jealous king slash father-in-law, how weird is that? He's on the run for his life, spent 10 plus years living in caves, making deals with with the enemy, even the Philistines at one point, Goliath's people, just to live as he runs for his life from his king, his father-in-law, his mentor, living in caves. And, and he writes this while living in one particular cave. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, it says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. I just say it like I know what I'm saying. Adullam. Soon his brothers... And all his other relatives joined him there in a cave. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented. The ESV says they were bitter in their soul. Until David was the captain of about 400 miserable men. In a cave, right? Later David went to Mizpah in Moab, where he asked the king and Moab, and they were enemies. Saul, king Saul had had a battle with them. And he asks the king, please allow my father and mother to live here 
with you until I know what God is going to do for me. Because I don't know what God's going to do. I'm the anointed king, but I'm living in a cave. I married the, the king's daughter, and I killed the bad guy. And I, I don't think this is what a king does. So I'm not sure what God's going to do. So can they just stay here in freedom until either he figures it out, or I figure it out, or I'm gone? That's basically what he's saying. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. He's living in a cave with a motley crew of misfits. It'd be safe to say that this is not how David pictured being the king of Israel. Yet, look at what he wrote about such hard times in this psalm that we're going through in this five-week series that we're in. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You see, in difficult times, we may be tempted to believe that God has abandoned us or we missed the boat. Maybe we just blew it. Maybe we believe we don't matter enough. Like I matter eternally, but I obviously don't matter that much right now. Maybe you believe that this is just your lot in life. Like this kind of pain, this kind of sorrow, this kind of mess or catastrophe is just what happens to me. So many people live with this fatalistic belief, this is my lot in life. Just last week, while we were in Alaska, I got to, I got to share my story of how God rescued me from my absolute despair, how my father God stepped into my catastrophe that I created for the most part. And he stepped into it and he rescued me. This father, this dad that I didn't even care about rescued me when I was still trying to do the rescuing myself. He comforted me. Like David says, during my deepest struggle, during my darkest moment. And that lasted, that dark moment lasted well over a year in my life. I mean, it was a, a horrible time. And, and, and when he came in to rescue me, this loving dad, it wasn't a quick fix like I asked for it to be, really demanded it to be. I'm like, if you're going to fix me, you're going to fix me now. And he's like, oh, you little man. You think you know, but I know what's best. And I'm going to comfort you with some pain. And I'm like, that's nonsense. <laughs> Who does that? Every good dad on the planet, right? So when we're doing that, that just needs to be at times. That's why he has a, a rod with his staff. The staff's this loving, beautiful, tall piece of equipment that they hold up and you can see forever. The rod is like this little thick stick with a giant knob on the end of it. You know what the knob's for? Knuckleheads. Right, so that you, you tap the knucklehead sheep, and they're like, ah. And then when the wolves come, you bust them in the face with it. That's what a rod is. It disciplines me, and it protects me. But I don't like it used on me. So for over a year, I went through this painful time. And then when I finally said, okay, heal me. Got to be in two weeks because I got to get back to life. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a mess up. 
And he's like, I'm in charge. I'm the one with the staff, remember? I'm the one that leads the sheep. It wasn't neat and tidy for sure. It wasn't wrapped up in 30 minutes like a sitcom or a two-hour comedy drama movie or anything. It took some time. It was gut-wrenchingly painful. I was broken, and, and during that broken time, my father God, my dad, he meticulously healed me as he comforted me. Like He made me walk through stuff that I had to walk through instead of waving a magic hand over it going, oh, be gone. No more pain, no more junk, no more mess in Scott's life. He, he didn't do it that way. He said, you're going to walk this stuff through. Because then the healing will be real and it'll be set. It'd be like for those of us who maybe aren't in the greatest shape in the world, just going, I just want to go visit the doctor and then walk out with no cholesterol, no body fat, and like 12 six-packs. That's what I want. And I want that after the first visit. I'll even pay for it. And it's like, no, that takes diet, exercise, uh, discipline, all these things, blood, sweat, and tears, time. Now, all of us understand that. That makes sense. But when it comes to healing, we want us to be healed like that. And most of the time, he says, I'm going to take you through a process to heal you and to have it set in deep. And then it's something you can give away because you know what you went through. He used the staff to comfort me as he led me. And he used the rod to protect and teach me as he walked me through stuff. Because, like James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, God's presence comforts you as he grows you. James, those, four, those three verses in James 1 are not fun verses. Unless you've already gone through it or you haven't gone through it yet. But James is saying, hey, you got to go through all these tough times in order to be strengthened and your character to grow. But his presence is right there with you. As we walk through life, it's this comforting presence. It's the staff. And it leads to a strengthened character for all that we will face, for all that we live in. And his plan is to grow and to mature you. That's the, the rod that he uses, and that's fully intended by God to bring you to a place of, where James says, you'll experience the greatest joy that you can have. Just imagine that. Imagine, just maybe just close your eyes for a moment. What's the greatest joy that you can imagine having? James says, as you walk through the tough times following Jesus, letting him chisel away and grow you into, that as you do that, that's when you'll experience the greatest joy that you'll ever have. And then he says, nothing will be missing in your life and you'll be lacking nothing for your life. Those are the words James uses. But only as we walk that stuff through, not skip around it or, you know, phone a friend or... Or, you know, get a pass. We walk it through. Now, for Sarah and I, this was not at all how we pictured life when we were broken. And when I was, you know, telling that story, even last week, just remembering back all those years ago, going all the way back to 2003, when it all, that dark, dark year ended, and he began to minister into my life as I led him. We didn't picture it that way. Two broken people. One destroyed marriage, zero kids except the one we had buried in the ground in England. 
That was our life. We did not. In no way during marriage counseling, if they said, what do you think it's going to look like in six and a half years? Would we have said that? We didn't picture that. Nobody does. Our future was so dull looking that like Sloss looked at us and was like, ah, oh, that doesn't look exciting. I mean, like, it, it just didn't look good. It didn't look. It looked like we wouldn't have a future except for what we eked out until we stopped breathing. That's what our future looked like. And the temptation to believe that, that our lives were shattered and it was all over, that our hopes were destroyed, that was, a, that was an easy temptation to grab onto, I'll tell you that. It's this temptation to believe that God no longer had a plan for our lives. And that was not very comforting at all until we embraced his comfort. Rock bottom is wherever you want rock bottom to be, in life or in the moment. Because it's when you stop and go, what do you want to do in my life right now, God? With this health issue, with this marriage issue, with this job situation, with these finances, with, with, with my children, with, with my parents, whatever it is. God, what do you want to do in my life and from my life in this moment? That's when the comfort begins to come because we say, you're the one with the staff and you're the one with the rod and I'm not the great shepherd, you are. So lead me, lead me to where you have me. So we decided right then, are we going to put our faith in circumstances or in ourselves, or in this loving Father God who says, I will walk you through this. It's a decision we had to make. And we had to make it not being guaranteed of what the future looked like. It was hard. Putting our faith in God meant trusting where he was leading as our shepherd without having to say so in it. Oh, I always want to say so. A lot of you are that same way. You want, like, okay, but uh, let me fill in the blanks here. Okay, let's, that's a good plan, but let me rewrite it. Uh, you know, what, whatever it is, we want our say-so. And that's hard to go, you're the shepherd. I'm just following you. I'm just following you. And I'm not telling you where to go. Amen. Trusting his plan, even though I was skeptical. I remember having the conversation. Lord, and I remember it being very specific with the Father God. I was like, Father God, you, you're the one I need, but you're the one I don't want. Like of all the beings on the planet, like I'd love Jesus to do it. I'd love the Holy Spirit to do it. I'd love me to do it. But I knew I needed the Father God because of my issues and my hurts and my wounds. I needed the Father God to walk me through that. And I was like, I need you, but I don't want it to be you. Are you okay that I need you, but I don't want it to be you? And hopefully you'll get me there and not strike me down with lightning right now. And he was like, I'm okay with that. I, I sent my son to die for humanity in their sin. I'm okay with you being skeptical towards me. I don't fail. That's what he said very clearly. I was like, oh, I like a confident God. So we're okay. Step one, we're good. I had to let God comfort me even as he corrected me and healed me. And that's hard. It's like, you know, when you, you know, when you, when you spank your kid and you're like, I don't want to do this, but I got to do this. And then you want to just hold them. And the kid's like, you just, you just whip me. And why are you holding me? But it's because we, we love our kids so much that that correction is meant to grow them, to, to help them maybe stop something or to remember something and to, and to grow out of that into good behavior. And, and so we comfort them as we discipline them. And he does it perfectly every time. But that's a hard place to put ourselves. Trusting 
that his path for me was through a dark valley? Man, I was like, what? That seems like sadistic. Like, why would you walk somebody through a dark valley just to lead them and guide them and grow them and protect them? That doesn't make any sense for me, to me. And yet, he says, even when you walk through the dark valleys, I lead you with my rod and staff and it protects and comforts you. So either it's true or he's lying to us. And this doesn't ever lie to us. Okay? So those dark valleys you walk through, he either brings them or he allows them. Whatever the moment is for us. But he always walks with us if we let him. That's the key. His presence is the key. I think it was Vinton on the video. Said all the cool things he remembers with his dad. He's thankful for but he's like, but he was with us. That's the key. God with us. Emmanuel. That's his name. So those things were hard. To even believe that, that the dark valley was meant to protect me. I'm like, what? Except that I saw it on the backside of the healing and the growth and the discipline and the discipleship. I saw, oh, okay. I learned things. And those things that I learned get to be applied down the road. And that protects me because I'm not a goofball anymore and I won't do those things. I learned in the dark valley not to be that dumb. And sometimes it's just that simple. God's like, I'm going to walk you out of this so you're just not that dumb. I love you. Uh, so he just does that for us. He's a good shepherd. He knows what's best in the moment and down the line. And for me, it took months for healing and restoration and reconciliation to come. It was months. For some, sometimes it's years. And I don't know why, but it just is. And for some, they still don't see the, maybe the, the reconciliation with, with a relationship or the restoration of a relationship, but they're healed. I mean, I have my own 10-year reconciliation story that is near and dear to me, and, and I would have never thought it was going to happen after about the three-year mark. I'm like, well, I guess I just live free and will never be reconciled. And then at 10 years, at 10 years, God shocked me and surprised me. And the relationship I have with this person now, you'd have never thought that we weren't like great friends and family our whole lives. You just wouldn't believe it if you saw us today. And it took 10 years. And not like 10 years of, oh, I'm so excited. It took 10 years of, oh, oh, a roller coaster. But I was free. God's destiny for our lives does not change because of our circumstances. We just need to not fight it or panic or run away or fade away. He comforts and he protects it's what Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. He writes this, that he writes basically the same thing that, that Jesus had said and, and, and David had written and that, that James was going to write. He, he wrote this, he tells us that as we walk it through, whatever it is, the struggle moment, the dark valley, as we walk it through, God never disappoints us. Never. You will never be disappointed by God unless you have a wrong view of him. And so then you're really disappointed by your definition of God. And he just wants to show you who he is. But you'll never be disappointed by God even as you walk things through. Paul says that we have a true and lasting peace. We have incredible joy so that we can celebrate our hope. It's fun to celebrate hope. The world can't celebrate anything. They manufacture stuff and it's either fleeting or false. 
Our hope is in Jesus Christ, eternal, abundant here and eternal there. And so we can celebrate our hope even as we walk this stuff through. Paul says we have this joyful confidence. The world's confidence is fake, made up, based on like one person who's going to fail. But our confidence is joyful because, because it's based in Jesus and he never fails and he never misses. He's perfect. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the lover of mankind. Father God, perfect. The Holy Spirit, our comforter, our counselor in us at salvation. Like we have a joyful confidence that nothing else can compare to. Everything else is going to be reaching or constant, trying to fill something, and it's always going to fail. Jesus never will. Even when we walk through dark valley times, God is there, and He is our only hope. And it's good that He's our only hope. We don't have to figure out, you know, who, who, to, who to go to. You know, you have all these, these fake religions, these false religions. They have gods of this, gods of that. Uh, even, even Catholicism has saints you pray to for this and that. And it's like, man, I just go to Jesus. Like, I don't have to figure out who it is. I got one. And he, and he doesn't have to like me in the moment. He loves me all the time. You know, you have all your Greek gods and all that. And they're like always, they're basically like schizophrenic, you know, fifth grade boys or something. And, and, and then you have all these over here to be perfect for. And it's like, man, Jesus. He loved me enough to die for me when I hated him. Of course, he's going to love me when I follow him. That's my confidence. It's in him. He's my only hope. When we live looking for his staff, our eyes fixed on Jesus, we won't miss. When we begin to see that the rod that disciplines us, ouch, in the moment, is the Father's way to actually protect us, we actually begin to love the sight of it. We love the thought of that type of input in our lives. Matthew, we don't sweat when Jesus is saying, hey, I got to work this out of you because we know this is going to actually make me stronger and better and protect me more. It's going to hurt for the moment or be a little uncomfortable, but it's okay because he's faithful. He's the great shepherd and he walks beside me through those dark valley times. David's darkest valleys led him to the throne of Israel. His darkest times led him to that place. And in those difficult circumstances, he became a better leader. He, he became a great protector of people. Not just a warrior that won battles, but a protector of, of sheep. And he became this, this comforting leader. He was able to, to comfort people. In that, that same chapter we're reading in 1 Samuel 22, we see that he comforts People with the same comfort that God had given to him. This sad, sad scene had happened. Uh, King Saul, as he's chasing David, found out that some priests gave him some food and, and, and gave him a sword. They didn't know he was considered a bad guy by Saul. And so Saul went and he had one of his guys kill 85 priests of the Lord, all their families, all their relatives, all their kids, all the babies, all the cattle, sheep and goats. They slaughtered them all. Just because they gave David some food and water and a sword, one guy escapes, makes it to David, and David says this, stay here with me, don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life, for the same person wants to kill us both. You see, 
even in his need for comfort, which he was accepting from God, he was able to comfort others who were broken and hurting and scared. And he said, hey, I'll keep you safe. I'll protect you. I'll comfort you. I'll, I'll guard you with my very life. That's what Jesus does for us. He's basically saying what James said, that you'll experience the greatest joy that you can have by just being in my presence here. It's hard right now, and that happened to you, and that happened, you know, his dad was the main priest that had gotten killed, and that guy ran away, and he saw all those people slaughtered. And David said, I get that that's harsh and hard and heart-wrenching. But now, from this point forward, you're going to have great joy because you're with me and I'm safe. And I'm going to walk with you through this dark valley as I comfort you and protect you. He's acting like the great shepherd right there. That's who he is. That's who Jesus is. That's who David became. David embraced difficult times because he believed that his future was in the hands of a God that loved him. So some questions I have for us, because I, I, I really feel like this series has a lot of questions for us to ask ourselves and, and for just, just stuff we maybe need to take in in the moment and as we go to worship in a little bit, uh, pray and talk to God about, or maybe throughout the week, it's our devotion time. But as I, as I was praying this week, it wasn't hard to pray where I was because I'm like looking at majestic mountains all around at 70 degrees and sunny. So uh, it was an easy time just to turn my eyes to the Lord and my, my mind to the Lord. And, and I was praying. I felt like God said, just ask them how they're doing with comfort and protection during these days. How are you doing? Do you believe that your future is really in the hands of a God who loves you. When you think of what's going on in your life or the world around you or in your small world around you, what do you need to do right now to be in receipt mode from the comforter and the protector? Maybe you're in a dark valley. Maybe it's not the darkest valley ever. Maybe it is. But maybe you're like, it's, it's a dark valley. It's, it's darker than I've had before. What do you need to do to put yourself in this mode where he walks you through it and guards you and protects you and comforts you in it as you walk out of it? What do you need to do to be able to embrace his comfort and live in his protection? Do you need to do something in your life, maybe in your, in your thought life, in your heart, uh, in your pursuits, in your thinking, do you need to do something different there? Do you need to have a course correction and go, man, I, I just kept trying to lead, lead, lead. I grabbed the staff and the rod out of his hand. I'm just going my own way because I don't like where I was going or I'm just, I'm going to take a bull by the horns kind of guy or gal. Do you need to just go here? This is yours. I want to follow you. Do you need to take some thoughts captive? You see, Jesus came to not only fulfill the prophecy that goes back to Genesis 3.15 that David writes about in Psalm 23. He, he didn't come just to save us and, and just to forgive us and die in our place. I mean, that's actually the greatest uh, comfort and protection there is. That's eternal. But he also came to give us a, a, a full life, an overflowing and abundant life here and now. Like, it's not just for eternity that Jesus came. It's for us to live full and abundant here in the midst of a world that's broken. He covers us here so that we can proclaim him and, and, and talk about him and see lost people saved by him. 
He came to be the great shepherd David wrote about. And in John 10, verses 7 through 13, he says, this is what a good shepherd does for everyone. And, and we're going to close with this in just a moment and then sing a couple songs. But just listen to what Jesus says about himself. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep, they did not listen to me. They do not listen to them, the robbers. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come in and they'll go freely and they'll find good pastures. Like while they're here, they're going to live well. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming, he'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. You see, Jesus there, he's talking about two main things there. First, he's talking about the guidance and freedom, the, the comfort and protection that he makes happen for those who believe in and follow him. He's talking to Christians in one way there, and he's saying to them, your lives are meant to be rich and satisfying. Some versions say full and abundant. That's the spirit in us overflowing from us. And then secondly, he's talking to those who haven't come to know him yet. And he's telling everyone there, there is one way to eternal life. There is one way only to living a great and purposeful life in these 80-ish years that we have here. There's one way only to be protected from lies and liars and deceptions and religion and rules and crushing uh, persecution or oppression on our lives. There's one way to live without fear and worry. He says, I willingly lay down my life for them and I'm the one way. And when they accept what I've done for them and they say yes to following me as their true shepherd, they can have eternal life after we stop breathing here and an abundant life while we still breathe here. One way. So he's talking to believers and not yet believers. And so I want to speak to both right now real quick as we go into time of worship. For the believers, what do you need to ask God for in your life right now? Are you in a dark valley? Are you struggling with him having the staff and the rod in his hand as he leads you? Do you just need his comfort and his protection to maybe overwhelm you and, and, and kind of bring you to a place of being undone? What is it you need? What is it you need? Ask him for it. As we go to, go to worship here, just, just ask him. Just in that first song or maybe both songs or just come up here to the altar. Just say, Lord, this is what I really need. If he walks through the dark valleys with you, don't you think he's going to listen to you? What do you need? What do you need? Health, marriage, relationships, finances, jobs, family situations, whatever it is. What do you need? And then if anybody's listening online, on the radio, or they're here, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, there's one way, one way only. It's eternal, and it's set once you choose Jesus. He holds you in his hands. And he says the Father will not let anyone ever have you. Once you're his, you're his. 
So he holds you in his hands. No one can pry it open. And he seals you by giving the Holy Spirit to you. So in you is the Spirit of the living God. And you are set. But there is one way, and it's Jesus. He says, I'm the gate. There are only fake gates other than me. And he says, all who call on my name will be saved. So maybe you need protection and comfort and, and guidance too, but you got to start with following the shepherd. And if you've never made that decision, as we go to prayer here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to just pray that prayer. To know God is present during the struggles, to grow in confidence in the, the truth of the written word, to reject fear about the valleys, and to live in that great hope is, is what a shepherd comes to do for us. And Jesus, in John 16, he tells us, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. One version says, cheer up, I've overcome the world. In the world, you'll have trouble, but I already beat it. So as you follow me, you're the victor. I give you my victory. In this world, you will have trouble. All of us will. Cheer up. He overcame the world. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. These altars are open. We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to worship the God who comforts and protects. Lord, I thank you for being a God worthy of our worship. I thank you for being a loving shepherd. I thank you for being such an amazing king. I thank you for being the one way. We don't have to figure out which way works in which moment. You are the one way for every moment. And for everyone in here who knows you and follows you, I pray that you just minister to their hearts right now. Whatever they need to ask of you or lay down at your feet or just stand there kind of undone before you, not knowing what they need, I just pray they'd be real and honest and open with you. Because at the end of the day, you just want us to be real with you and pour our hearts out. So may we pour our hearts out to you today. And for anyone that doesn't know you, they've never made a decision to follow Jesus to accept Christ as their King and their Lord, to be saved by your, your completed work on the cross. I say that, I just, I just say to them right now, you just, you just say, Lord, I want to be saved and you'll be saved. I, I pray, God, they would hear your call, that no one would leave here unsaved. No one would turn off uh, anything online or on the radio without being saved today. There would be every person within earshot saved by the risen King because you're the one way you give us an abundant life here and a full life here and eternal life with you. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right now, if anyone needs that, would they call on you? And may we worship you in spirit and truth. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit our media page on hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.